Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and TV shows and movies and whatnot of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And today is a very special day. It is episode 50. I can't believe we've done 50 of these. Uh, we are going to celebrate episode 50 by reviewing a very special movie. Yep, we are now going to start doing some live action occasionally, and we decided no better way to do that than by bouncing all the way back to episode one and doing the live action tied to episode one. Yeah, so for this podcast, we are going to be doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990. <laughs> My idea was to do a different episode, and the different episode that I wanted to do, after starting to look into it, I realized about a week, week and a half worth of prep was not going to be enough, so I'm going to work on it on the side. It's it's going to be a long-term project we'll do at some point. Maybe a, maybe a special event. Yeah, maybe something we'll do uh, next year or some point within the next year, but I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, it's, it was just, I, I calculated just very quickly how much hours it was going to take for me to do. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was a daunting task, but I think that this movie is a good substitute. It's not really, it's not really anything less. It's a great movie to no, substitute it's in. A, it's in the, a very similar wheelhouse. Yeah. So it, this is a live action movie and it came out March 30th in 1990 and it was the number one at the box office over its weekend with more than $25 million, which for inflation today is $48.4 million. Which, which is a pretty, pretty good opening for any movie, really. For March. Yeah. Yeah, especially. And it's not um, like a summer blockbuster or anything. It's Exactly. And its budget was 13 and a half. So it definitely made its money back. The, f the film's worldwide total was over $200 million, making it the ninth highest grossing film of 1990, which factored for today's inflation would be uh, $38.7 hmm. which is a definite um, strong, strong showing at the box office. Now... I cannot remember. I, I've seen this movie before plenty of times, but I cannot remember if I saw it in the theater. Oh, I definitely saw it in the theater. <laughs> I'm assuming that I did because I was really into the cartoon, so I figured this movie was rated PG, I think. Yes. Yeah, it had to have been rated PG. Um, and Maybe I shouldn't have been, but... <laughs> yeah, it probably shouldn't have been, but I could not... I Honestly, I was thinking about it as I was re-watching it. I could not remember sitting in a theater and watching it, although I probably did. I just couldn't remember it, but I have seen it a bunch of times, so what do you remember about the movie? I for sure remember seeing this in the theater. I went with uh, my three cousins, and I went with my brother and sister and my parents, and we all went to this well, Holy crap, theater. it's like a whole family affair. It was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we all went together, and we watched Ninja Turtles, and it was the most badass moment of my childhood and i was so excited to go and it did not disappoint and i loved every moment of it i think we went and saw it a few more times actually now were you the biggest uh ninja turtles fan of your brothers and sister or your brother and sister and your cousins no i don't think so i i mean i i kind of remember all of us were really into it all, all of us were into ninja turtles to some degree or another 
Some of us had more of one kind of toy than another, but we were definitely for sure into Ninja Turtles. Like, my brother and I had the face masks that you'd wear that came with the plastic swords uh, and toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. those too. And I had cousins who had the, like, obscure dinosaur Ninja Turtle toys from the mid-90s. And huh. uh, there is a Ninja Turtle action figure um, who is a sumo wrestler covered in tattoos. The tattoos were actually stickers you put on his body. That and and I remember, like, familiar. a bunch of yeah we had we were way into turtles we've discussed this i think yeah. back in our first episode but but the movie is a little different yeah i i remember the the thought you have if you if you had only watched the cartoon and then gone from that to the movie i feel like you would have been kind of confused because the 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 movie actually takes more uh, beats and more like story prompts from the comic books, absolutely, and more character sort of development from the comic books than it does from the TV show. That the TV show, for I mean, for for all intents and purposes, the TV show is kind of non-existent in this Ninja Turtles movie universe. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. This movie universe is more or less. The comics. Yeah. Which is why, as a kid, I was sort of confused by some of the plot points because there's a few plot points in the film that are drastic, or comics, that are drastically different from the cartoon animated show. And my exposure to Turtles was strictly animated show, not comics. Yeah. And if so you, there, it did, I think, confuse a lot of kids. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you, if you had never read the comics and you're only, and, and your only experiences with the cartoon, the main difference between the comics and the cartoon is that. The cartoon is sort of action adventure um, It's very bright and colorful and playful. And the comics are really kind of dark and sort of dystopian and kind of have a more like depressing feel. It was sort of that, you know, it's that darker kind of yeah, gloomier feel to imagine it. Like, imagine like Judge Dredd or, or just sort of the darker like marvel comics like the darker uh daredevil or punisher comics where it's just everything is sort of gritty and ugh. yeah and, and then they make it bright and colorful and pretty for kids yeah exactly yeah. so you know th this movie was was technically an independent film huh uh because of new line cinema and new line cinema is one of the production companies that that helped produce this and they they were known for doing like the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies and a few like small projects, but they're more or less still considered to be like a smaller independent film. And this movie like blew them up <laughs> as a result. And so we ended up with this giant, you know, nearly half a billion dollar film in today's money back in 1990. And <laughs> as a result, this movie ended up getting a sequel. A number uh, of sequels. Ninja, Teeny Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use in 91. And then, and this is again why, as I mentioned before, you've got to look outside of just IMDb or Wikipedia because both have the third sequel listed as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time. And that is wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because, tell me why. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because it never actually said Turtles in Time. The original title was just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Like, well... We're making a third sequel, and we know it's terrible, so fuck it. 
Well, we won't even give it a title. Teeny yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time was given to it later as a result of the success of the Super Nintendo slash arcade game, Turtles in Time. And that third movie, I plan, hopefully, for us to do the second and third movie in the future. Yeah. And it is, they are train wrecks. Uh, then at later, 2014, there was a reboot, uh, which wasn't that bad. I, I think it got worse press than it should have. Uh, there was also another sequel to that reboot in 2016, yeah, last the- year. Out of the Shadows. I kind of liked it, actually. I I still have not seen him. (laughs) It's got Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady. I mean... Yeah, I I heard that the second second of the the newer ones, the Michael Bay ones, was uh, a whole lot of fan service. Oh, yeah, all kinds of fan service. Casey Jones is in it, and it's played by the guy from Arrow. Um, oh okay yeah the guy who like rocked that ninja warrior competition a couple months ago yeah he uh, does all of his own stunts yeah the, the thing about um the thing about the sequels the original sequels to this ninja turtles movie is that like like chris said they get subsequently worse as they go on like the first one is arguably the best the second one is one of the most memorable it's one of the most memorable mostly because of vanilla ice yeah but it's it has a lot of problems and it, so many problems. so many problems and the third one is just garbage i i like because the first one was so violent and it took i think a lot of parents by surprise how violent the movie was they went slapsticky for the second one. they went one. slapsticky and if you've never if you've never seen the second one or if you never like you haven't watched it in a while go back and rewatch it in the second one the only turtle that uses his weapons is donatello because he has a bow he has a stick essentially is his yeah. weapon all the other turtles keep their weapons sheathed the entire time. They and never they, use them once. They never use them. And they, they just do slapstick like karate and they throw stuff at people. And it's and, sort of like pseudo Jackie Chan without being good enough to be a Jackie Chan. Yeah. And, and that was, that was, I think a direct response to the sort of negative feedback they got from the parents. Because yeah. in, because in this first movie, they actually use their weapons quite, quite extensively. And even Leonardo, whose weapons are two katanas, he uses them on, uh, when he's fighting with human Foot Clan soldiers. Odd little bit of trivia. Leonardo is the only one who actually causes physical damage to Shredder. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually slices Shredder's arm at the very end. Yeah. Nobody but, else touches Shredder, but Leonardo does. I guess that's why he's the leader. Yeah. So, this, so if you don't know anything about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's based off of a comic book by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And then it became a very popular animated series in 1987. And as a result, they decided to try and cash in and create this movie. And they did cash in. Oh, so hard. And the screenplay is done by uh, a guy named Todd Langan and another one named Bobby Herbeck. Now, this movie is directed by Steve Barron, who did Coneheads. (laughs) Yay! Yay! (laughs) And then uh, the music video for AHA's Take On Me and Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Now, I I don't want to give it away. But I'm glad that there's a Michael Jackson reference in here. That, yeah, because not, well, not the same song, but no, but but close enough. Yes, close enough. And in late 2011, Steve Barron's uh, two-part production of Treasure Island was shown on British television. It's the one with Eddie Izzard. It's really cool. That one is Long Sean Silver. It's got Elijah Wood uh, as Ben Gunn. Did you ever see that? No, I it's didn't. cool. It's really cool. It's produced by Simon Fields, David Chan, and Kim Dawson. Now, I kind of want to breeze through that because the production company... The production company is an interesting... 
interesting story in and of itself. Yeah, we were talking about this at lunch, and you knew none of this, right? I, I sort of knew a little bit about it, but not nearly the in-depth the in-depth info that you got. Well, and I actually knew all this stuff without having to look it up. I, I really liked Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee, and I had done... I had read Bruce Lee, or uh, Jackie Chan's uh, biography, which is actually a pretty fun read anyways. So... The, one of the big production companies, Golden Harvest, is this production company from China, from Hong Kong. And it was founded by these veteran film producers uh, named Raymond Chow and Leonard Ho. And the two of them came from the infamous Shaw Brothers Studios. They're the ones who are sort of known for the wire foo sort of uh, action movies. But they formed their own thing by contra- uh, contracting with independent producers and giving talent to more lesser known guys and giving them more creative control. And what ended up happening was is a bunch of the Shaw Brothers guys defected to them and they started to get big. They're, they became famous for, for producing this little-known movie called The Big Boss with this guy, I think his name is Bruce Lee something? Bruce Lee what? Oh, know. Bruce Lee! Yeah, yeah. So Bruce Lee got his break from Golden Harvest. So Bruce Lee... He actually did all of his movies with Golden Harvest, and then Golden Harvest became the major producer of the Jackie Ch- all the Jackie Chan movies from about 1980 until fairly recently, and it's considered to be the big reason why Jackie Chan got his big break. Before that, he was kind of doing, like, pseudo-Bruce Lee characters. After Bruce Lee died, everybody was trying to cash in, so they would just say, oh... Chinese guy, let's make him Bruce Lee. And so they would call him like Bruce Chow or, uh, you know, Jonathan Lee or Dragon, whatever. And so they were all these... Dragon Lee, yeah. They were just trying to make... They were trying to... Cash in. Yeah, they were trying to to just do the verbal and visible or visual comparison to Bruce Lee. And so, yeah. So Jackie Chan, like, kind of got his big start in this movie called Snake in the Eagle's Shadow that... I know it's kind of a side thing, but Golden Harvest uh, played a big part in the production of this Turtles movie. And... They, Which is good because that I mean, that shows that it had a sort of martial arts pedigree. Yeah, well, and, and another kind of fun side note is that Jackie Chan can be seen very briefly in the film Enter the Dragon. So there's a couple, there's a couple of the main fight scene, and again, I didn't need to look this up. I just put it in our notes because memory is awesome. Um, the main fight scene in the yard in Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee is fighting this guy, and behind him, kind of to stage left, uh, to your right, you can see... Jackie, a young Jackie Chan. And then there's this later short fight scene inside the base where Bruce Lee's like infiltrating to, and there's this scene where this guy kind of grabs him from behind and it's uh, like this unknown henchman and that's Jackie Chan. Mm, and I get, I didn't even put this part in the notes, but there's in that, that yard scene where they fight, uh, where Bruce Lee like jump kicks the guy and kicks him in the chest. He actually cracked the guy's sternum and broke his own ankle because he was, the other guy he was fighting was like talking smack on Bruce Lee, basically saying like you're just like this Hollywood guy who can't fight or whatever, <laughs> and um, put the guy in the hospital and broke his leg, uh, cracked his ankle as a result, just what? like to prove like I could kill you because it could. So there's a uh, these other smaller productions, Limelight Entertainment, AAA Productions that worked on this, and then Mirage Enterprises. But that Mirage Enterprises is linked with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Yeah, it's like they're independent. Um, production house production house yeah so this we mentioned produced by or distributed by new line uh so we won't really kind of go over that but the music i wanted to mention done by john duprez uh who apparently worked a lot with eric idol for the music for monty python oh good um yeah so i guess most notably he's a bunch scored, of monty python or at least a bunch of people from uh, monty python yeah too. he did the score for meaning of life 
Fish Called Wanda, which uh-huh. was John Cleese, but still related. Oh, and Time Bandits. <laughs> yeah, that's, Terry Gilliam. That's my uh, that's my buddy Josh's, one of his favorite movies from, from his youth. And that movie is fucked up. That's the one with Sean Connery. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I guess he also co-wrote the music for the stage musical Spamalot, so... I've seen that musical. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's awesome, but... I was completely... It. I had no idea what it was going to be. It was... It, I saw it at the Hollywood Bowl. It was literally just a retelling of the quest for the Holy Grail, but with singing. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was entertaining. I just yeah. had no idea what... The, anyway. And a side note, he did the music for Once Bitten with Jim Carrey. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put something crappy in there. Yeah. Uh, oh, really quickly, we're not talking about what we're drinking today. Sean's doing whiskey, and I'm doing tequila again because that's that's what we're thinking. Yeah. So, um, so um, let's talk about the actors. Uh, the first one, um, the live action actor, is the one who plays April O'Neil. Is Judith Hogue? Did you have a crush on her? Because I totally did. I, I you know what? I don't know if I had a crush on her when I was a kid, but looking back now, she's pretty damn hot. Oh, as a kid, I I was like, well, maybe it's just I had a crush on April O'Neil. Maybe. That could have just been it. The uh, the thing about this movie, though, is she doesn't wear the yellow jumpsuit. Yeah, apparently apparently uh, they initially wanted her to, the yellow and jumpsuit. She refused. The, she said it was ridiculous. Yeah, I guess they tried it on her and she said it was horrific looking and she wasn't going to do it. You find in doing the research for this movie, and if you've seen the next two movies, um, Judith Hogue was not asked to come back as April O'Neil in the next couple movies. And it is because... She was apparently so difficult to work with and had a lot of issues with the movie itself. Yeah. And like the 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 violence of the movie and the the wardrobe and stuff. Just and a she, lot of stuff. She complained a lot of She family, had a lot, a lot of complaints. Which and, is not a way to get invited back. Yeah, just ask uh just ask uh what's her face? Uh Megan Fox on the set of uh Transformers. <laughs> when you oh, complain tell- when you complain a lot and then can and then talk crap on the director, you tend to get not asked back. Well, it's easy to replace you when you have a toe for a thumb. Oh, yeah. It's hard but, to unsee. Can't unsee it. Megan Fox has a toe thumb. Yeah, she does. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the thing that I found interesting about her is at the time... Judith the, Hogue? Yeah, Judith yeah. Hogue. Is that at the time this movie was uh, was shot, she was 21 years old. And I totally did not see her as being like 21 I think I texted you. I said she's 21 and going on 40. Yeah. I mean, she was like... A, she, to me, she looks like a very attractive, like more mature woman. And not like a twenty year old, twenty one year old kid, but yeah, but uh, she was she was born in sixty eight, and I think it's a crispy hair of the time. Probably everybody just looked older with that crispy ass hair. Yeah, she was born in sixty eight, and the movie was uh, the filming for the movie was done in nineteen eighty nine. So twenty one years old. Yeah, uh, she's she did she worked on Nashville, the ABC drama. She's Tandy Hampton on that, and she was I don't know if you've ever seen this Halloween Town. It's a Disney Channel no. like movie series. Not good at all <laughs> don't watch it it's awful uh it comes on disney channel like around halloween time usually in october and my kid it, it happened to be playing while i was like doing the dishes and then i saw it and it was terrible and i wanted to change it and she had a meltdown <laughs> so i ended up having to record it so that she could watch it later i found it on the dvr and record it's so bad they're not good they're it's not good yeah she hasn't had a whole lot of work in uh films but she's if you if you go to her imdb she's had a fairly extensive tv career but not like a whole lot of long roles long-term roles it's just a whole lot of roles yeah over just the like years. 
hey, you know, if you're working, you're getting paid. That's it. Yeah, but she know? plays April O'Neil, and the one sort of deviation from the comics that uh, that the character takes is April O'Neil is still the reporter, like she is in the cartoon, rather than the assistant to Baxter Stockman, like she was in the comic books. Yeah. So she is still a reporter for Channel 3. Yeah, it's like a weird blending. But I think in the show, it's Channel 6. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, then uh, the other person not in a suit to mention is Casey Jones, who is a sort of like vigilante former NHL player who uh, is played by Elias Coteas. And he played this character in all of the Turtle movies that Casey Jones shows up in. And he was in The Prophecy in 95 with Christopher Walken and Viggo Mortensen. Yep. And he was a serial killer in the 98 film Fallen with Denzel Washington. And the Chicago PD TV show, uh, he's a series regular. He plays Alvin Olinsky. So if you watch Chicago PD, then you know who he is. And I I think he actually does a good job in this. Yeah, no, Casey Jones is an entertaining character. Yeah. Like Chris said... Coteas, he does a good role with his portrayal of of Jones, I think. Yeah, like like Chris said, he's a a vigilante who uses... uh, If you've never seen the show or the comic, um, he's a vigilante that uses sports equipment to uh to dole out justice yes the baseball bag that he carries in like stick. a golf uh, yeah, golf bag yeah and uh and he's sort of this like streetwise kind of thug and he's he, sort of a chauvinist also oh I mean, yeah he has these moments where he says like super chauvinistic things but uh the, the next couple live action characters danny pennington who is the son of April's boss, and her boss is Charles Pennington, and really the guys who play this, Michael Turney and Jay Patterson, uh, accordingly, have really done nothing but this movie. The next person, the chief of police, I only wanted to mention him because he's in the other Turtles movies, and he's done a bunch of stuff in like Murphy Brown and Matlock and Kojak, and his name's Raymond Sarah. And so, his, the character he plays is is very almost very much like a comic book character. It's a it's a chief of police that like a, yells a we've lot. We've got everything under control. Don't worry about it. And then they scream. You know what yeah. it reminded me of actually was um, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh yeah, a little bit. Uh, his boss, Beverly Hills Cop, who like screams at him. Or, Get or, out of here! Or the boss in um. Uh, the Mel Gibson uh, Lethal Weapon Lethal Weapon movies yeah yeah. it's just it's it's a like largely ineffectual obviously ineffectual uh, police chief who doesn't know really what's going on and just is yeah. angry and wants people to respect him and he wants to cover his butt and that's really all he does so the next guy the next couple of pe- the next two guys we're going to mention they are just the actors but not the person who does their voice which i think is kind of racist yeah they so the first guy is shredder and it's done by a guy named james saito and they don't use his voice um they use another guy but he has been in um the devil's advocate home alone three pearl harbor uh die hard with a vengeance uh he worked on mash macgyver law and order miami vice and sex and the city and a bunch of other stuff and apparently he's joining the new Marvel Universe as a supporting character as uh, Bernard Sanjo in Cloak and Dagger, which is, I, I guess, going to premiere next year. I'm, I'm, from, I'm, I'm kind cautiously of, optimistic about that. I'm kind of we'll familiar see. with Cloak and Dagger, but not enough to know who that character is. It's it's two characters. No, no, no. I know who Cloak and oh, Dagger oh, oh, is, but Bernard I don't know who Sanjo. Bernard Sanjo is. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not super familiar enough to know who he is either. But, hey, I'm glad he's getting work. Yeah. So. Then, then we have Tatsu, who is the... Second in command. Yeah, bald, bald, scary looking Asian guy. He spends the whole movie just going... Mm, oh, yeah, he's mm, like, he's like uh, if you've seen Big Trouble in Little China, he's like the lead, like, bald gang member type. Yeah, of, yeah he yeah. just... 
looks angry all the time. And He's played by Toshishiro Obata, but, I mean, who knows. Now, the next one, I had no idea about because I completely forgot about. And holy shit, you can't unsee it. It's yeah. Sam Rockwell. He's like the head thub. Uh, thug. He's in Frost Nixon and Green Mile. Yeah, he uh, has Iron a... Man Two. Galaxy Quest is my favorite. Yeah, he uh, he only has about two minutes of screen time. The whole total, like if yeah. that, if that, it might only be a minute. There are several points. So he's one of the guys in the very first fight scene when April gets mugged. Yeah, and then he shows up later when Danny goes to the hideout and, uh, and they're the doing guy, sort of an intro. The intro about like, do you have everything? Yeah, everything. Do you have cigarettes? It's like regular menthols. And then he's also the one at the end who tells him to go back to the base. Yeah. He's also the one who confronts Casey Jones and Splinter at the base when they're saving Splinter. Uh, spoiler uh, for yeah. a thirty-five-year-old movie. Oh God, is it? It's almost 30. no. It's it's uh, thirty-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Thirty. We're almost thirty years now. How how's that make you feel? <sighs> Old. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. To 2000, it's 27 years old. Yeah, so almost yeah. 30. Yeah, gross. sorry, at first I couldn't count. Gross, I don't gross. know math. It's fine. Yeah, sad, sad. But yeah, so Sam Rockwell's done a bunch of stuff, and then he's in this. Now the other two guys are, if you've seen the movie Scream, the guy who plays uh, Billy Loomis, like one of the main characters in Scream, he's got an uncredited extra role in this. He's all he was also in a uh, Weekend at Bernie's, and then that was uh, Skeet Ulrich. Skeet. Yeah, it's Skeet Ulrich. And then the other guy is Scott Wolf, who's best known as Bailey from Party of Five. I, and, and I guess he was in Everwood as Jack Hartman, but uh, yeah, I don't I know. I didn't watch either of those shows. Yeah. Now, now, the voice, again, there's a whole voice cast, and they're important to mention, and we'll get to it in a second. The first one is Raphael is voiced by a guy named John Pace. Uh, is it Pace or Pais? I don't know. I'll say Pace. P-A-I-S. If it's Spanish, it's Pais. But there's no accent, so maybe yeah. it's Pace. I don't know. But I guess he's the only actor to portray a turtle on screen and provide his own voice. Yeah, because so, all the other turtles, there was one person who acted out and was in the rubber suit doing all the action. And then there was another person who provided the voice. And, they, and he was the only one that was both. He yeah. did both. Michelangelo is voiced by Robbie Rist, who Michelangelo is the fun-loving party turtle with the orange. And Raphael, of course, is the red, angry one. Yeah. Robbie Rist uh, is known as a much-hated cousin Oliver in the Brady Bunch. That's what he's mostly famous for. I just want to put um, the addition of younger children to sitcoms that seem to basically have run their course uh, as a way to try and improve declining ratings. Yeah. Is called Cousin Oliver Syndrome. I think my favorite... That's that's insulting to have a syndrome talking about failure in film named after your character. Well, I mean, it's not his fault that they... I mean, it's the producer's fault. No, no, fault. I mean, again, you're right. It's but not his fault. My favorite... My favorite uh, uh, example of that is on Married with Children when they added seven to uh, there was a kid named Seven. They added seven to the to the cast for like ten episodes, and he was so yeah. he was so poorly received that they literally just wrote him out of the show without any explanation. And I, there was some like nods to it later on where they would show like a milk carton with Seven's picture on it. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> and it was just something like sitting on the table. Oh, it's just like a little homage? Yeah, yeah. They never mentioned him again. It's like the sister in Family Guy that went upstairs and then disappeared. Uh, no, that's, that's the that's the brother from... Um, oh, no, no, no. There is a younger sister in, in Family Guy? Family oh, Sorry, Ties. Family Matters. Family Matters. Oh, sorry. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Family Matters. The this middle kid, she goes upstairs... Or the younger kid, she goes upstairs, yeah. disappears, and never comes back. And then the little sister in Boy Meets World goes upstairs, disappears, and never comes back until I think like the last season and then they joke about her being on time out the whole time and yeah. then they send her upstairs to go to her room and she goes 
I'm never coming back, am I? And it was kind of like this funny joke. To, at any rate, I know it's yeah. kind of a side thing, but yeah. um, so that guy is—he uh, was in he—he he does music actually. He did the theme song and main music for the Sharknado franchise, which is kind of funny. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I put in here that he does the dubbed voice for uh, Choji in uh, Naruto. And the only reason why I mention that is I've been watching the the dub because my kid obviously can't read yet. And so I watched the the dub version with her, which they now it's, it's, believe it is super aggravating. Yeah, but is Choji the uh, the, the fat big fat one? one. Yeah, yeah okay. the one who like eats all the time. Yeah, and then he did a voice of the he did the voice of the alien in the Angry Video Game Nerd movie by James Rolfe, who we've talked about before. Yeah, um, in some ways he's sort of uh, a little bit of an inspiration in why I agreed to do this in the first place. I yeah, guess. so. So we have uh, Leonardo. He's the leader. Leonardo leads. Um, he's like the the good. He's the the good student. Uh, who listens? He yeah, listens to uh, listens to Splinter. Um, he's done by. Uh, he's voiced by Brian Tochi, and uh, he's known as the uh, Toshiro Takashi from the Revenge of the Nerds. The the only Asian one. That's yeah, the... basically the Asian guy from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, he is also one of the few people who have ever played. A character on the original Star Trek series and one of the spinoffs. So he was in the original Star Trek series. I'm assuming as like a kid. Yes, as a kid in an episode called And the Children Shall Lead. And later he was in uh, some episodes of Next Generation. So he's one of the few people to have ever have done that. Well, that's super cool. Yeah, that's it's actually really cool. Yeah. Um, and Donatello does machines. And he's voiced by Corey Feldman. Now... Who aside from aside from Sam Rockwell, see he was probably the at the time he was probably the the most famous. He was person. the most famous. I yeah. would argue he is for sure the most famous at the time that this movie came. Yeah, because so he was in Gremlins and Goonies, Stand by Me, and Lost Boys, and he was Young Copper and Fox and the Hound, which is a movie we've talked about before. And now Corey Feldman is sort of a musician. Uh, so. Corey Feldman has, at some point in his life, decided that he was a musician, but he's not good at the music. He tries hard. He tries hard. He tries real hard. And his latest album, Angelic 2, number 2, The Core, which came out last year, is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Ever. And I, I really, I want, Sean, I'm really hoping as you're editing this, please, for the love of God, put, just put some of his singing in here. Because it's, I'm going to put a link to the video of when he did a performance for this on the Today Show. It's one of the most awkward things you've ever seen. I, I, I might, I he might He is now just there. generally known as being an utter mess. Yeah, uh, well, he had a lot of drug problems. Uh, he's... Had a lot of uh, issues that he's he's come out and said, you know, talking about the uh, the sort of under the CD underbelly of being a child actor. Yeah, being a child actor in yeah. Hollywood and, and all of the sort of garbage that comes along with that, like and the I was, actual gar like the oh yeah the, yeah like abuse and such. So and the thing is, is the stuff that he was in, he was good in the stuff he was in. Yeah, no, he's a he and was I don't a really know why actor. he decided. I mean, okay, he's passionate about music, but like he's got skills and other things. I don't know why he doesn't do voice acting. He's got a good voice for voice acting. And he could legitimately be doing like a lot of voice acting, making good money at it. Yeah. From what I hear, he's supposed to be a sort of a nice guy too. Yeah. But but I mean, God, sorry, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't listen to this, but 
it's Angel to the Core is bad, man. It's just, it's not good. Yeah. I believe uh, who was it? Uh, Fred Durst does a, a, a he did a, a guest spot in one of the tracks on this album. Oh lord, it's so it's so bad. So right, Splinter, yeah, on, yeah, moving on from the awkward. Uh, Splinter is done by Kevin Clash. Who was the fifth puppeteer for for Elmo and most famous as the Elmo puppet because he was the longest running one? Yeah, he's also the guy who sort of got fired for kind of sort of messing around with a sixteen year old boy. I don't know if you've heard about that, but if you have, it was not not great. Turns out that the guy uh, was not sixteen. He was later identified as a twenty four year old wannabe model that was once arre- arrested for allegedly robbing someone at knife point. So don't feel too bad because kevin clash is doing okay still yeah uh, i have to say that that uh kevin kevin clash's portrayal he did he did the voice of of splinter oh it's, I know what you're it's a little little bit racist just a little bit racist he he does a he does sort of that almost i want to say it's not as bad as mickey rourke not mickey rourke mickey rooney in oh, Breakfast nothing's as Tiffany's. bad as Mickey Rooney in it, Breakfast at it, Tiffany's. It's not. It's not. A, it's not as. It's not as bad as as. The, it's not Misho Shali. Yeah, like, Misho it, Shali. It's. It's more like, like he's essentially doing yellow face, but yellow voice. Yeah, I guess he's sort of. Yeah, he's doing like yeah. the. You must face your fears. My master Yoshi's first rule was possess the right thinking. Only then. Can one receive the gifts of strength, knowledge, and peace? Now that's that's the voice that that we get out of um, David McCarran, who does Shredder, who's really done nothing, and then Tatsu, who is voiced by Michael McConaughey, who also decided to, I guess, do this sort of like weird yellow face voice. But now the last guy, McConaughey, has done a bunch of voice acting work. And uh, they have a pro- he has a production coming with another somewhat prominent voice actor named Melody uh, Spivak. And this guy did a bunch of stuff for Avatar The Last Airbender. And he's the original English dub voice of D in Vampire Hunter D. Huh. And, yeah, you know, he's actually a fairly prominent uh, anime voice actor. Uh, I, I don't know if we should really get into all of the puppeteer stuff. Because well, yeah, can... each character required multiple puppeteers to operate. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to say should... Go ahead. is that that all of the actors who played the in-suit turtles also appeared in cameos yeah, they did. throughout the movie. So David Foreman, who was Leonardo, was one of the gang members. Michael Sisti, who was Michelangelo in the suit, uh, was the pizza delivery man. Yeah. Uh, the one who shows up on the, on the scooter. Yeah. And Leif Tilden who was Donatello uh, was a messenger of the foot and Josh Pace was the passenger in the taxi. Yeah, that he was kind of funny. He actually had a, a, an also a speaking role. That one was a funny goes, What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? Yeah, it, it's... Well, because he kind of... that That's actually a disguise that they've used in the comics and, yeah, and yeah. In, in the cartoons. Yeah. I think maybe let's just talk production well, really well, quick really, and then we can get into the other stuff. No, I was going to say really quick about the, the puppeteers. Um, they Like each of them, like you said, it was a guy in a suit and then someone puppeteering their face to like make the mouth, whatever. And it was done by uh, uh, Jim Henson, the puppets. Yeah. So Jim Henson's Creature Workshop 
uh, or creature shop did these in London. Jim Henson said that the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked on. And that the creatures were first made out of fiberglass and then they were molded out of clay. And then uh, they were produced as molds to cast the whole body in foam rubber latex. And it took 18 weeks just to make the suits. Now, this is one of the last projects that Jim Henson ever worked on. Yeah, and it, it's kind of so sad. for this to be the most advanced that he did, considering he did other stuff like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and Labyrinth. Uh, that's a pretty tall order. Yeah, and I was... This was considered groundbreaking for the, the animatronics that they did. Yeah, and I, w I was reading um, sort of an interview with him about this movie, and essentially he was torn about this movie. Jim Henson was. Yes. Because yes. he, on the one hand, he really liked the advancements that happened in animatronics and how this movie led to his workshop, his creature workshop, like getting new technology and utilizing it and whatnot. But out of all the things that he had had a hand in personally, this was the most violent and he didn't really like that. So he didn't like the violence of the movie, but he liked what the movie was able to do for his studio and for the, for the sort of the, the art of the puppetry. art, yeah. the art of yeah. puppetry in general, because all the, all the turtles had the animatronic puppetry and then Splinter himself was a complete puppet. There was no actor inside of him. He was up to I think we're three people. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, there was up to we? three people that were uh, that were used in, yeah, in his puppetry. Yeah, one of them had a hand up his butt. He did. And we'll see that actually if you watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim Henson is kind of a big dude. I don't want to mention him too much this week because we may be discussing him soon mm -hmm. in another project. But I d I did want to talk about how this movie was essentially turned down by everybody. So Columbia, MGM, Orion, Paramount, Disney. Uh, now, do just... you know? Do you know why they turned him down? Because it was already. This is what this is what confused me about that little. That little. They were note. worried that despite the popularity of the cartoon and the toy line, the film could potentially be a flop. That's what I don't understand. Like, what was their reasoning behind it? The movie Masters of the Universe had happened just a few years before. Yeah. So the movie Masters of the Universe, He Man was a big animated character in the 1980s and they did a live action version of I remember that Masters movie. of the Universe which I for sure also remember and it was a total bomb and so they, nobody would touch this movie hmm. and so it did finally get picked up by New Line and I'm sure they were very happy about that because it made them a ton of money yeah. so in 1990 the film was released to VHS and reached number 4 on the home video market according to the LA Times an LA Times article uh, from the time the VHS tapes for this movie sold for about 25 bucks a pop. So, you know, you're talking several million copies. You're looking at a lot of money. Now, Pizza Hut, I guess, engaged in a $20 million marketing campaign for this movie. Also, even though Domino's was the product placement that, that was paid for for the film. I, I think Burger King also was. They had this, like, really close zoom in on a Whopper box. Yeah. And, um... And yeah, so you would think that it would have been Domino's, but I guess they. Well, there was Dom Domino's was in it too. It was that was the the pizza that they ordered was Domino's. Well, that's what I'm saying is Domino's yeah. was used as the product placement in the film, but outside of the movie, it was Pizza Hut. Yeah, you know what's funny? So I just calculated it: twenty five dollars uh, in 1990 for a, for a VHS tape is about forty eight dollars in in 2017. Who would spend close to fifty dollars for a DVD? 
Well, if, now nobody would because we have the internet. We could just yeah. illegally download stuff. This, it but, wasn't even a DVD. It was a magnetic tape cassette. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm, I'm equating, say, DVD yeah. and, and Blu-ray to what the modern equivalent was at the time. Yeah. You so know, that, that's I crazy. Guess, I guess if you didn't have the internet to just download movies, people would probably pay it because that's all they had. Yeah. You remember, know? remember all those, like like bookcases full of DVDs and Blu-rays oh, people yes. used to have. My favorite was was the one that we had that it's when you looked at it it sort of looked like a, a wooden mini fridge that was split in the middle and you would open it and oh, then there yeah, was VHSs yeah, yeah. on each Yeah, was it like thing. a clicker thing where you'd like press it in yeah, and you would click, click it out? And yeah. And then it would open up sort of like a book. Yeah. And then there, each door had a bunch of VHSs. And then there's a, a yeah. No, yeah. I, my, my buddy Brian at his house, he had these like two bookcases full of VHS tapes. And up until fairly recently, they hadn't gotten rid of them. I don't know why they still had them. I don't think they had a VHS recorder or player anymore. But his mom would record because she had cable. I think she paid for like Showtime or HBO or something. And she would record movies when they were playing. Oh, way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, on VHS. So there were all these like hand handwritten VHS labels. Yeah, uh-huh. where she would have the movies like sitting in their little thing. That was our copy of Dark Crystal when I was a kid. Was was on a bootleg VHS from HBO. Yeah. That my parents had, had we had gotten it. We almost never had v, uh, HBO, but they had gotten it as part of a free package deal. So they down they took well, advantage. Of it. Yeah, they took advantage of it like way back in the day. <laughs> uh, I, so, I mean, we have a few things to talk about. You know, I, I think, do you want to talk about the movie? We can go back to all of this other stuff later, or do you want to touch on some of the stuff now? No, let's, let's, let's jump into the movie. We're we're about halfway into this thing right sure, now. Sure, what the hell? More. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie. The movie, the plot of the movie is really sort of an origin story for the Turtles. It starts off with, uh, with April O'Neil reporting on sort of a crime spree that's going on in New York. You were mentioning that you were happy about this uh, New York portrayal, Yeah, right? so, so this, this is like 1990, late 1980s New York. And we had talked about this when we talked about uh, Ghostbusters and a couple other shows. Is that New York in... And we actually think we talked about it in uh, the, the original episode we did on the Turtles. Might have. So new yeah, that was a year ago, you realize? Yeah, that's geez. nuts. So well, the, at the time we're recording this, it was over a year ago. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So the the New York of the late 1980s was really not a great place. It was, it was a lot cesspool. of crime. It was a cesspool. There was drugs and sex and all kinds of stuff. Hookers. And gangs. now it's Guy Fieri restaurants on Times yeah. Square. And I know I've made that comment before, but I hate Guy Fieri, so it's fine. Yeah. But this this uh, this movie really kind of showcases that sort of gritty grimy crime-filled new york of the late 1980s because right you definitely feel like at any moment the turtles could step on a hypodermic needle yeah because you you see that there is a crime wave going through the city and that like basically everything's getting stolen there's there's one scene where april is talking about in the news report she's talking about all the thefts and there's a lady there's a lady uh, sitting on her fire escape like sewing or doing something and she's watching TV. She has a TV out there. And she turns away for a second to get something. And then she turns back and her TV is gone. And she's on a fire escape at like, you know, three or four stories up. So basically everyone's stealing everything. And the plot is, is that April goes to try and find out what's going on. Because it's like this weird ninja infestation in New York. And she gets involved with the turtles. She gets involved. solve the crime and yeah, they she, save the day. That's, that's it. Yeah. Now there's and, a bunch of stuff that happens in the middle, and that's where the show that's when the movie gets interesting. I I think. Yeah. So I love the dramatic music that plays during the, the narration in the beginning. 
Yeah. I know it's weird that I like it, but I do. Well, music sets the tone, and it's usually something that you remember. Much more than just a series of small, isolated incidents, it's now apparent that an organized criminal element is at work. And at the moment, business is good. So good, in fact, that there appear to be no eyewitnesses to any of these crimes. The, uh, the, the movie itself has, it has its issues, and we were, we were talking about this at lunch. So one of the things that uh, I feel like any, any property that is tied to another property, any movie property that's tied to another property, whether it's through sequels or through just... Comics or TV comics or, or video TV, games or something. Yeah, something that's, that's based on something else or that is a, is a follow-up to something else, like a sequel. Any movie that, that has that, I think the, the, the measurement of whether the movie is good or not has to be whether or not that movie can stand on its own without the knowledge that you would have had had you read the comic or seen the first movie or any of that stuff is you know what what the movie would how it would work by itself as a standalone movie how would it translate exactly yeah and i think a lot of the criticism of this movie that i saw was stuff sort of related to that one, the criticisms of the movie I, I saw were like how violent it was because I think a lot of parents were shocked at how violent... Because these are, these are ninjas. There's a lot of actual fighting and choreography that goes along in these fights. They use weapons. If you're not familiar, Leonardo has katanas. Michelangelo has nunchucks. Raph uses size. And uh, Donatello has a bow. So they have these, you know, fairly deadly weapons that they're using against people. They're people. They're not robots like in the cartoon. And there's kids involved. There's violence against kids. There's one scene that I know was edited from its original intent where the... Uh, who's the main henchman again? Oh, Tatsu? Tatsu. So Tatsu is pissed off because uh, essentially the Foot Clan failed to get the turtles. And he's pissed off. And he's oh, and he goes on a rage bender. Yeah, yeah, and he's in a throwing stuff and he starts beating up some of the kids. And one of the kids goes up to him and he's like, Master Tatsu, Master Tatsu, you need to calm down. And he turns around and beats the shit out of him. Nearly it, killing him. Well, in the original cut, he did kill him. I know, that's why I wanted to say that. Yeah, so, they added some stuff to make it so it was apparent that the kid survived. They added like groans and somebody saying like, no, he's still breathing or something. That was, yeah, so I think that was in the American production. It got, it got put out that he... Wasn't killed, but in the French production, I want to say the the, Fre the French uh, film version, it it actually ended up making it that he had killed him. some other things too like some weird censoring that went along in other countries um like in like in britain there was the issue with the original cartoon 
uh, about the word ninja being too inherently violent. So they, they yeah, that was in the UK. Yeah, so, so they, they they edited that out. And I guess in some of the they edited out nunchucks. Yeah, that's yeah. They they edited out like the violent content. Sometimes even going so far as to cut out entire scenes. There's a scene in the in the movie where the foot break into uh, April's apartment and the turtles are there. So they have a fight in the apartment. And there's a scene right at the beginning of that scene. There's a there's a sequence where one of the Foot Clan has a has a nunchuck. And he starts doing the, you know, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And he's doing, he's doing some moves with the nunchuck. And then Mike's like, oh, a fellow chucker, eh? And then they, they have like a sort of a back and forth dueling banjo stand with the nunchucks. And they completely cut all of the scenes of the nunchucks. They just show back and forth of the two characters. Yeah. And then show the guy getting, uh, like, knocked out. And yeah. And that's how they went around it. They also, in, I think, the British version, the UK version, uh, there's a scene where, Sh- the, at the very end of the movie, where Sh- uh, Shredder ends up in a garbage... Uh, garbage truck tr- truck and he gets crushed and that gets head- heavily edited and then the uh, the last song is called Turtle Power and uh, it was edited to change the word ninja to hero uh, so that it would match with the TV series the unedited version did finally get to the UK but not until 2004 so yeah, it took 15 years almost for the movie to get there the way that it was supposed to. So I think the main takeaway from from that is that this movie was there were a lot of people I think that were shocked by how by how violent the movie was. And it was pretty violent. Well, a lot of the criticism though was to, was was just the fact that they didn't like it either. So uh Entertainment Weekly's writer Gleiberman, he said that he would have gone for it too had I been raised on Nintendo games and the robotic animation that passes for entertainment on today's Saturday morning TV. Now, I will say that the animation is is interesting because I was reading that they filmed, they actually filmed the uh, the shots of the turtles in 22 or 23 frames a second. Yes. Because it had to be slower. Yeah, put that in the notes. Yeah. yeah. It had to be slower, and so they sped it because up. Because of the, the rubber suit, so then they... They right. sped it up to 24 frames per second, which is why some of the animation... Or not animation, but why some of the scenes might seem a little clunky, because they were recorded at a slower speed and played and played back at a faster speed. There is a sequence later where Splinter talks about their origin, and there is... Uh, they show the, the turtles like as actual turtles. That's actually shot in, in 8mm. Oh, well, yeah, it kind of looks like that grainy... It, yeah, and that was intentional to kind of have this sort of vintage feel. And when they did it, that actually cost them a lot of money to do that because they had to go and do, like, heavily edit the crap out of it to, like, make it look good. But people just were not happy with anything about this movie. So, yeah. including the fact that the villains were supposedly racist. So, Variety said that overtones of racism in its use of oriental villains uh, was an issue. And they also described the film as, quote... Visually rough around the edges, sometimes sluggish in its plotting. I don't know what you could have done about that because those were the those were the villains in the comic book, right? Because the villains came from Japan. What would you ever? <laughs> I feel like that's a no win scenario because well, if you made it again today and you changed the uh, you changed the villain to be a white guy or something, then you'd be accused of whitewashing. Well, exactly, and that's what happened with one of the uh, with the the remake is the I think the 2014 Shredder ended up being a white guy in the end and they were accused of whitewashing. Yeah. So which is a problem too. Just and a no-win scenario. It's a no-win scenario. Now now uh Janet Maislin from New York Times at the time said that 
quote, the story's villainous types are Asian and the film plays the yellow peril aspect of this to the hilt. And she noted that uh, a racist joke in April O'Neil's response to the Foot Clan, what's the matter? Did I fall behind on my Sony payments? Was uh, an issue with resentment of Japan's economic strength, even while the film is plundering Japan's popular culture. See, I didn't even... I feel like that's... like That's a reach. That's a kind of a reach. I felt... I didn't even think about that when she said that line. I didn't think... I, I thought that the line was made because Sony was the number one selling television at the time. Yeah, or or like and because and because they were expensive, and that if you at at the time you were gonna buy a TV, you were gonna buy buy it on on payments. Yeah, you weren't just gonna go out and, and just buy a TV and yeah, cash. I, I think I think that was just an example of someone trying to find a way to be. <laughs> well, offended. and I think Roger Ebert felt so too because he commented that there was quote no racism in the film at all, and he said that the most interesting part of the film for a non-teenage mutant Ninja Turtle fan is the production design, which he described as low rent version of Batman or Metropolis. Which it was. I do. I it do was. Think that the, I do think that the the setting and the sets really showcase how gritty the original comic was yeah it's just it's dark it's like the original batman it's like you said like yeah. batman batman one and two the ones that tim burton did just dark and and grimy and you can really feel the, the sort of soul of the city yeah and and he did go back and do like a, a re-review of this movie after the other ones were out and he said that the movie is nowhere near as bad as it might have been and probably is the best possible teenage mutant ninja turtles movie it supplies, in other words, more or less what Turtle fans will expect. I, I think, by and large, a lot of the criticism is is mostly unfounded. Uh, I did put a link to a video of the original Siskel and Ebert review that they did on TV. Yeah. Because uh, I thought that was interesting. And, and a link to Roger Ebert's original review... Uh, also, because I think that's also sort of interesting. Yeah, one uh, of the- just to kind of look at a- as a result. But you know, I-, I know we kind of like jumped off into the review section here while we were discussing, but actually discussing the movie. But I, I just thought it was kind of worth. Us yeah, talking about. It, well, well, one of the things that we were talking about at lunch um, about this movie is some of the some of the crit- uh, criticisms I I saw about the movie is how the reviewer, whoever it was, didn't really note it. Didn't really feel the character development like they, yeah this they, is the point you were making with me that, which that I, I could i guess i sort of missed myself then this goes back to this goes back to my my uh, rule about how a movie holds up by itself on its own merits and not based on how it relates to the other material so if you have a movie like this ninja turtles where you don't know anything really about the characters. Just say you're you going completely blind. You've never read a comic or seen the show. When you're looking at the characters as they appear on screen, the only a few of them really get character development. You get April who gets a little bit of character development. Casey Jones. Casey Jones gets a little bit of character development. And you get S- Spl- uh, Splinter. Splinter and Raph. And that's it, really. Well, and I think a little bit of Raph, or a little bit of Michelangelo. Maybe. Because he's a sort of slapsticky character, like... Uh, you know, we get these like like little comments from him like throughout the movie, but at the same time, they all sort of have them. There's this one that uh, Raphael has when Casey Jones first appears and he's fighting these muggers, and uh, Raphael says, "New game, roundhead. Cricket, cricket. Nobody understands cricket. You got to know what a crumpet is to understand cricket." Yeah, and and that's the thing is like. In the movie, to me, it feels like Donatello and Michelangelo are very interchangeable because the two of them hang out 
or in most of the scenes they're together and they just sort of quip back and forth and Leonardo doesn't do a whole lot of talking Raphael does the most talking and if you didn't know anything about their personalities you wouldn't think of you wouldn't think anything of them because yeah. they, they, they don't have that character development and and I know from look or from reading about some of the deleted scenes which I couldn't find really any evidence of because you can't find a whole lot of the deleted scenes they're really hard to find yeah there's like one I found so one of the things that they cut out in the deleted scenes was actually stuff that that contributed to character development during the training montage that they did uh, on the farm there was supposedly a bunch of scenes of of uh, the turtles sort of learning and getting more of their personality out because they're just focusing on them. Yeah. And that I feel like would have been very beneficial to a, a casual viewer. Plus some scenes from that same, you know, farm section. Yeah. Also started to explain Casey and April's relationship, their budding relationship, because at the beginning of that sequence, when they go to April's farm to sort of hide out and train, the two of them are kind of, they're, they're, I don't know, that sort of flirtatious aggression. Well, hey, you just saved yourself an eight-mile round tripper. Uh, you were fired. I'm... I just saved myself? Yeah. Uh-oh. What did you do? Did you take classes in insensitivity? Hey, I was just trying to break it to you easy. Oh, huh? well, you failed miserably. Hey, Brodzilla, you won't even be standing here if it weren't for me, okay? Oh, and what do you want? Do you want to thank you? No. It's me who should thank you for that privilege, right? Fine. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, we're sort of fighting, and Donatello says it's kind of like moonlighting in here, which is a reference to a Bruce Willis TV show. Yeah. So you have you have this this sequence where they're kind of at each other's throat. You know, he's a jackass, she's a stuck-up bitch. And then by the end of the sequence, they're like arm in arm. Sort of. Well, and April does this like narration that I really like. And then there's Casey Jones, a nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. He might almost be cute if it wasn't for that pig-headedness. And so she kind of says that like she likes him, but if it wasn't for this. If it wasn't for the fact that he was a jackass, he'd be kind of cute. Yeah. And and like, so there's all these like little things that I guess you're right. Like the character development could have been better. Yeah, um, it's just like on its own. We already know who the characters are and how they act. And yeah, so. yeah. No, you're right. We totally do. And, but but someone else might. But somebody not. else might not. And that would that would have made the movie that much better because then you could enjoy it with someone who doesn't necessarily know anything about it. Yeah, there is this uh, the whole like uh, fish out of water thing. You know, April is, you know, she she obviously. I mean, she's a human being, and seeing like live talking turtles is is a weird thing for her. And, uh, you know, she gets saved by the turtles and then by Raph in a subway and she gets brought down and is saved or whatever. And she sort of freaks out about everything. And, and Michelangelo asks, uh, can we keep her? And uh, Eleanor, I watched this movie with my daughter and, and my daughter's response was, she's not a pet, she's a people. <laughs> uh, and, and so April actually gets scared of, and, the, of and the turtles, of the turtles, and and I've 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 recorded some comments from my daughter as as we've gone through here, and uh, so this was kind of what she had to say uh, <laughs> about at, at this point in the movie. Hey Eleanor, why was she scared? Um, because those are talking turtles. Yeah, are talking turtles scary? No. No. What do you think they are? 
They're cool. Yeah? Why are they cool? Because, because they fight. They fight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who are they? Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I should mention that my kid was doing like punches and kicks through this entire conversation. There's no like video of this. Um, but it's also sort of weird because during this halluc- this scene, uh, April thinks she's having a, a hallucination. And I, and I did want to say that there's a few, there's, there's like maybe two points. And this first one is where April thinks she's having a hallucination and then Splinter says, no, you're not having a hallucination. And then he explains their history. And, and I think, let's just play a clip of that because I think it is the best explanation of the turtles and how they became turtles that, and it would do it a better job than us. If you will please just sit down and calm yourself, I will tell you where we came from. He talks. It is really quite simple, Miss O'Neill. And he knows my name. Perfect. Fifteen years ago. Why don't I ever dream of Harrison Ford? <sighs> For fifteen years now, we have lived here. Before that time, I was a pet of my master Yoshi, mimicking his movements from my cage and learning the secret art of ninja. When we were forced to come to New York, I found myself for the first time without a home, wandering the sewers, scavenging for whatever I could find. And then one day, I came upon a shattered glass jar and four baby turtles. That was us. <laughs> Shut oh, up. Oh, no. The little ones were crawling into a strange glowing ooze from a broken canister nearby. I gathered them up in an old coffee can, and when I awoke the next morning, I received a shock but they had doubled in size. I too was growing, particularly in intellect, and I was amazed at how intelligent they seemed, but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. One of them spoke. Pizza, pizza. More words followed, and I began their training teaching them all that I had learned from my master. Radical, radical, radical. And soon, I gave them all names. Leonardo, Michelangelo. It's me. Donatello, <laughs> and Raphael. Now this was a scene that was shot with the eight millimeter camera I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And, and it is sort of weird because they're like these weird baby turtles yeah, that and don't... The, well, they're regular turtles, and then they turn into these, like, weird, like, anthropomorphic child baby turtles, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, and then I guess they just grow up. This, this actually follows the origin story of the comics. Yeah. Instead of the, well, in, in terms of Splinter, anyway, because yeah. in the comics, Splinter is a rat who gets mutated but had, he was the pet of Hamato Yoshi. And in the show, he is Hamato Yoshi. He gets yeah, turned he gets, into a rat. Yeah. 
So they don't really explain how he got from Japan to America as a rat. No. That's, that's left up to you to fill in the blank, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the meantime, now, right after the Splinter gets kidnapped and they all end up back at her house. And at this point, her boss shows up and her boss is uh, like kind of looking around her apartment with his son, Danny. And uh, the turtles are playing this like hide game where like they're yeah. hiding from Danny. Danny turns because around they're, and they're, they're, nin- the they're ninjas. She, she so turns, like, around. Yeah, she like turns a- around and goes, guys, you need to. And then as soon as she turns around, like they're all scattered. And yeah, gone. it's like an expose of their ninja skills. And uh, <laughs> my kid really liked this scene also. Uh, she, <laughs> she thought it was really funny that they were hiding. Was that funny? Yeah. Where did they hide? Under the tank. Was that funny too? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, and then the other turtle got in the bathtub. <laughs> Where else did they hide? On the couch. On the couch. Yeah. Did they get caught? Mm-hmm. No. Why? Splinter? Yeah. He took Splinter. Hmm. Hmm. That's so sad. Yeah, my kid thought it was very sad that Splinter was taken. She got very upset that when he was kidnapped. I I, I just, I thought it'd be kind of fun to share some clips with my kid today just because we always kind of talk about her and I thought I would include what she said. Uh, yeah. Because she really, really likes this. She loved this movie. Actually. Now, that, that whole Splinter sub, subplot of Splinter getting captured, I guess it's not really a subplot, it's the main plot. Yeah, it's the main driver it, of, the, of the whole, of it the whole is, thing. In terms of things that are violent, it's probably one of the sort of, it's the implication of what's going on is probably the most violent because he's captured and he's being tortured. Yeah, full on, like, he is, like, cuffed to a channeling fence, and he's tortured, and it's pretty... He's, like, bloody and always wet. And the, the, turtles, the turtles assume that he's either dead or dying a lot. And at one point, uh, in when they're at the farm, Leonardo has a vision of him, and then he gets the other guys together, and they, they sort of do this group meditation, and they are able to talk to Splinter, and which he basically gives them, gives them his uh, final goodbye, and they all start crying... I am proud of you, my sons. Tonight, you have learned the final and greatest truth of the ninja. That ultimate mastery comes not of the body, but of the mind. Together, there is nothing your four minds cannot accomplish. Help each other. Draw upon one another. And always remember the true force that binds you. The same as that which brought me here tonight. That which I gladly return with my final words. I love you all, my sons. And then that's when they resolve themselves to go and rescue him. It's like, that's what I'm talking about in, the, in terms of the violence it's it's crazy kind of how violent the movie well, is. Well, and they do a pretty good job with the with the action too because so at one point they're back at April's house and uh, Raphael goes up onto the roof to like clear his head or whatever and he gets attacked by the foot and this is also sort of a driver of of the story yeah. where he kind of gets beaten up and thrown through a 
a skylight. A skylight, and then they they fight the foot and they escape. And my kid also really liked this scene. Tell me what you think about this part. The turtle, the whale, and the ninjas. Yeah. Did you like it? Yes. <laughs> what did you think? It's funny, yeah. Yeah, so she really liked this part. Uh, she thought it was funny that he got thrown through a skylight. Yeah, she and did. almost died. Yeah, and then the, the part where Donatello spits water out of a fish tank at another oh, foot, yeah, foot clan. And uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this scene was there's um, the, the fighting in this is actually pretty well choreographed. It is. Like, that's one of the things is that the, the actual fighting is... Oh, this is also the scene where Donatello says a California roll. Uh, which my kid also thought was the funniest thing on the planet. You know what I'm just thinking right now? So in the the what what ends up happening at the end of this scene is that essentially um, April house her a house gets lit on yeah, fire. April's April's apartment is destroyed and the business underneath her, which is an antique shop that her she opened for her father, is also destroyed. It's burned down. I'm thinking back to the original five episodes we watched of Ninja Turtles. And how her apartment gets destroyed by the Mousers. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Her, like, giant apartment <laughs> that she shouldn't have been able to afford. Yeah, her giant apartment building. Her entire apartment building, probably full of hundreds of people, collapses and everyone yeah, dies. Yeah, they don't talk about, they don't talk about <laughs> the this, massive like, death. Mass yeah. death, yeah. And, and the same thing happens in the movie. Her apartment essentially gets destroyed and burned down. And they just sort of glaze over it. Like, where does she live? That's why they end up going to her farm, her family's farm yeah. in... in what is supposed to be upstate New York, I'm guessing. But, but it's, it's really, all filmed in North Carolina. Yeah, it's all formed in, filmed in, uh, I think it's Wilmington, North Carolina. Yes. Now, I just, this is a nice little point to make. Uh, at the very beginning, we mentioned the episode that we decided not to record, but that we may, will hopefully do at some point. Yeah. It's going to take too much work. Is the Super Mario Brothers live action film. And that movie was filmed in the same exact abandoned cement factory that this movie was. Yeah, the, all the, of the dance scene, right? The dino something or other? No, no. The entire metropolis of of Dinotopia, Mar of Dinotopia whatever, whatever it is, is is all shot in and built inside this giant cement factory. And oh. inside here is where any of the, the major soundstage work was done, as in a, especially the Shredder hangout. The hideout huh. was, was done here. The honeycomb hideout, huh? Yeah. Mmm. Delicious. Honeycomb. Mmm. So I there's there are some things where, like, that definitely date the movie. Uh, Donatello makes a reference to something being a Kodak moment, which I thought, you know, at the time that would have been a big, like, sort of... Yeah, but Kodak's not really a company anymore. I mean, it is a company. They're, no, but... they're gone. Well, I think I think they're gone. They filed for bankruptcy. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, um, if, if you don't know, Kodak used to be a camera and film company. They made film and cameras, and they were the company yeah. for it. And uh, they're more or less gone now because... Bill Cosby was a spokesman for them for a while. Was he? I think so. Hmm. Interesting. Kodak film. Yeah, you would just uh, light the film on fire. It would flash them, blind them, and then you could slip them a roofie. Well, it, it, it's more... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more, when you have to document all of your sexual conquests, do so on Kodak film. It doesn't matter if the subjects are awake or not. I'm sure Fujifilm was happy to uh, avoid <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, so there's some some references like this and then the Moonlighting one that are sort of dated. But there's some other funny things where Casey Jones is chopping a carrot with a katana. 
there's this cool yeah, that's montage. A weird, that's a weird thing. I, I, I don't know why they put that in there, but there's like a cool fight montage that they do. There is this point where Raphael, they, they have this sort of, Raphael wakes up and they celebrate that he's awake. And at some point, Raphael is upset about Splinter and he's up on the rooftop. Sean pointed this out to me. Yeah. And he's up on the rooftop doing this sort of, Rocky Adrian thing where he yells out Splinter! Yeah. The turtles are four once again, and yet still not whole. A lingering doubt remains, an unknown which they can't bear to face. Their greatest fear. Splinter! But the actual suit is Michelangelo. Yeah, he's got he's got the nunchucks. You can see them. That's and cr- I had no idea. Yeah. There's yeah, there are actually a lot of mistakes in this movie. Yeah, there's some um, funny ones, and I pointed them out to you, and I showed them. I showed them to you. There's there's people who have who've documented this before on like YouTube. You can check it out. But there's a lot of things that happened when the uh, when the production went from the anamorphic uh, four four to three ratio to the widescreen ratio because a lot more of the set. And a lot more of the the shot was visible in the widescreen. So when you have the widescreen shots, you can see stuff like crew members. You can see in one scene where Casey Jones fights uh, Tatsu, you have him. You you see like a, a camera lens in the corner. You the the probably the most ridiculous one is in this, <laughs> is in the scene in, the fight scene or uh, before well, the fight before scene before the fight scene where in where, her apartment yeah Leonardo right? and Raphael are arguing over what they should do to find Splinter and as the camera pans from Raphael to Leonardo there is a visible crew member crouching behind the table with a bright red hat on bright it's red not hat, like you can't yeah, see it bright red hat and a white T shirt and it's just it's it's astonishing that any of these things were still left in the this movie made as much movie it made as much money as it did and it feels like they couldn't take the time to be like hey sound dude why don't you stand behind the camera yeah uh cut cut for like two seconds so uh joe can get out of the shot please or hey we can see the puppeteer up with his hand up inside splinter's ass let's maybe reshoot that (laughs) in the last one shot's good yeah in the last uh the final confrontation between splinter and shredder you can actually for a for a second see the puppeteer with his hand up splinter's backside controlling him it's the scene where uh, Shredder charges at Splinter with a spear, and uh, Splinter wraps it up with a nunchuck and then spins him around and tosses him over the building. And tosses him over the side of the building. You can absolutely see the puppeteer, <laughs> and that's right before Casey Jones decides to commit murder. Yeah, and and literally murders yeah. Shredder. That's how this. That's how this movie ends. Is the the uh, the turtles. The turtle or Splinter really defeats Shredder, throws him off the building. He lands in the back of a garbage truck. And then up until this point, the only thing that the turtles, because I don't know if this point, if the turtles know the history. Do they know the history of his, of Splinter and Shredder? No, Casey Jones knows nothing about well, any does, of this. Do the turtles know? They get, I'm sure some of it explained. Because he explains it to April, and they might have been in the room. But anyway, Casey doesn't know. So as far as Casey knows, Shredder is just a cult-like leader of a group of teenagers who steal things. And that's it. They, they rob people. Yeah. I would argue that, that essentially the Foot Clan is a cult. Yeah. 
So that's all Casey Jones knows that Shredder does. And he hasn't killed anybody. He's certainly hurt some people, but he hasn't killed anybody. And Casey Jones takes it upon himself that as soon as he falls into, as soon as Shredder falls into that dump truck, he freaking hits the trash compactor button and crushes him. Or at least that's what you think is happening. Well, because you see the the helmet get crushed. Yeah. And Shredder comes back in the second movie. It's like, well, it's cool. We'll commit murder. It's all good. But it's like the implication of that is we have destroyed Shredder. Who's a man? He's not like this mutant monster or anything. He is a man. He's a human being. Yeah. And who Casey Jones... A bad human. Yes. And had Casey Jones known all the back history, sure. But I think it was almost expected that we, the audience, were projecting onto Casey Jones. That we would have been happy... yeah, get him! Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Although... From the perspective of within the film universe, it makes no sense that he would murder a guy he knows nothing about. Yeah. But it's okay. It is what it is. Now, go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to say at the end, though. So April's boss, by the way, at one point fires April because he's looking too close into the... Well, he's getting pressure from the chief of police, essentially. Yes. And April's looking too close into a case that uh, Danny is involved in because uh, her boss finds out that his... Her boss finds out that his son is involved with the foot. And he sort of is, and he helps Splinter get out, and he helps the turtles and all of this. And there, after Casey Jones decides to, quote, accidentally kill another human being, the the dad comes running up and he yells, Are are you all right? Are you okay, Danny? Danny, are you okay? Are you okay, Danny? That's all I can think of. <laughs> and, and Joy was sitting in the room during this time when it happened. And then she just goes, are you okay, Danny? And I was like, God damn it. Now it's in my brain. Like, I didn't even think about it. She actually thought about it before I did. Yeah. And now I can't unhear it now. Because I rewound it and I watched it again. It's in there. It's an earworm. Yeah. So it we exist forever. We were talking about this. I guess we should probably try wrapping this up a little bit. Maybe. We, we were talking about... Never. <laughs> never. This is the endless episode. We were, we were talking, ours now. We were talking about this at lunch, and you said that this is probably a movie that you cannot take your nostalgia goggles off for. I don't think I can. I think this is the first time... This is 50 episodes now. This is the first time I'm not sure... Uh, my my walk away opinion is my kid really liked it. I still really enjoy it. I don't care that there were bad reviews. They can suck my nuts. I enjoyed this thoroughly. And that's the end. And I don't know if that opinion is tied to the fact that my nostalgia is forever a part of my viewing or or if it's just an objective opinion. I'm not sure. Well, see, I, I, I think have a little bit more of an objective opinion. Like... I sort of, some of the critiques of this movie, I kind of resonated with, but the movie is essentially a kid's movie. I mean, it's not really a kid's movie, but it was a movie that was directed at like younger kids. It was a movie that was directed at probably, I would say the age range was maybe like nine to 14. I would say it would be a good age range for just this specific movie because, because of the violence, because of the implied like abuse of Splinter because of the fighting and the weapons well, and stuff. This movie came out we were eight. So. Yeah. So I would say it's probably, you know, maybe that's seven, seven to like six seven, seven to twelve. Yeah, because my brother range. was my brother was six, and then I had another cousin at the time who was four. We all saw it together. Yeah. They loved it. So I mean I'd say like kindergarten-ish age forward. Yeah, and and there are plenty of other movies that were in similar 
that were sort of similar in the, the I guess the inherent violence of it that were more for kids. You know, you had these these like kung fu, essentially like your Power Ranger type movies where they're fighting and they're kicking and they're but they usually didn't have like bladed weapons like they do in this. These are very realistic or weapons. Or people blatantly they, dying. Or people blatantly dying, or it's implied that they're dying. And if if they are dying, it's usually something of their own like some some action of the of the bad guys. I mean, I think back to like, do you remember the Tarzan cartoon, the the Tarzan movie, yes. the Disney one? So the guy at the end of that dies because he like wraps himself up in vines and then he gets dropped and hung his neck yeah. snapped. So like usually it's something like that. It's not like the heroes kill the villain. It's the villain. The heroes spare the villain, and then the villain does something they that gets themselves that killed gets, by accident, yeah, or or whatever. They just react, and then they end up flying over a mountainside yeah. or something. So I Gaston could, is a good example. Yeah, exactly. So I could sort of see why this movie got the reviews that it did. That doesn't mean that I think it's a bad movie. That doesn't even think mean that I think it's a, like a mediocre movie. I actually think this is a pretty good, entertaining movie. And if you like Ninja Turtles, I. Even if you've only your only experience with Ninja Turtles is watching the cartoon when you were younger, I feel like this is a good movie to just go back and rewatch because one, it it it's out of all the movies and iterations of Ninja Turtles to date, it is the most uh, it is the most true to the comic books. This particular Absolutely. this particular movie, yeah, you're right. So if you if you've never read the comic books or if you want to, if you like the comic books. This is a movie that you should watch because it, it holds pretty true. It actually draws inspiration from several different stories from the comic books. So I think objectively it's a good entertaining movie. It's a popcorn movie. It does have sort of a good message that like there's a couple really sort of touching scenes with Splinter because Raphael, his he's the he's sort of the angsty teenager one. They're all like he's in the mythos of of Ninja Turtles, he's the oldest, right? Yes. And he is also the like the most troubled, he's the most aggressive, he's got anger issues. And at one point, after uh, uh, some fight that they have, Raphael goes to see a movie. And he leaves by himself, he goes to see a movie. He actually sees uh, Critters, I think. And he's like, oh, what the hell is this shit? Now, originally, do you know what they planned to have on the poster in the background? No. Batman. Oh, yeah, that was originally the plan, but they decided to make it critters at last. Little bit of trivia there. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So when he comes back, when he comes back from the movies, all the other turtles are in bed, but Splinter is still up. And Splinter has this, I think that's the scene. Well, anyway, there's a scene. It might not be the movie scene, but he comes back from something where he's very angry. And Splinter has a conversation with him and he says, I have tried to channel your anger, Raphael, but more remains. Anger clouds the mind. Turned inward, it is an unconquerable enemy. You are unique among your brothers, for you choose to face this enemy alone. But as you face it, do not forget them, and do not forget me. I yeah, my son. You know, you are unique between your brothers because whenever your brothers have an issue, they take solace in themselves, like each other. And essentially, like, I, I feel like this is a really good message where it's 
like look you like i i recognize because splinter is the surrogate father and splinter recognizes that he has anger issues and that he doesn't like talking to anybody about anger about his anger issues whereas his whereas the other turtles will look to each other for comfort Raphael looks within yeah he looks within and splinter tells him and this is i feel like it's a good message just for kids in general splinter tells him like look i know that this is how you deal with stuff but always remember that i'm here for you and you can always talk to me when you have these issues so never think that you're never think that you're alone or that you have to deal with this stuff by yourself there are some sort of like um, sort of i guess emotional-esque uh messages that you get from splinter where he asks danny at one point uh, don't you have uh, a, f- a family? And Danny says, no. He goes, you don't have a parent. Which I thought it was interesting. He didn't say parents. He said parent. Yeah. Singular. And Danny says, well, he doesn't care about me. And Splinter says, no. All fathers love their sons. Uh, care about their sons. Yeah. And and it's this idea. It, when he said it, it wasn't just a your father cares about you. It's a I'm an example that all fathers care of their children because I love my turtle sons. Yeah. And your father loves you like I love these kids. Look to me as an example if you don't believe your father loves you because he does. And I think uh, eventually... And that sort of changed his mind throughout yeah. the film. And there are those kind of, I guess, deeper... It's not something you would expect from a kids show. You don't you don't normally in a kids movie have yeah. discussions about anger issues or depression or anxiety or, or or stuff like that. I don't know if it was something that I expected rewatching it because I don't remember any of that. Yeah, and and I think that maybe looking back with with adult eyes, you're like, wow, that's actually a pretty, I mean, if insightful. Ki- yeah, and if kids if kids in 1990 saw that and maybe were actually paying attention to that part and took that to heart. You know, maybe that maybe that facilitated some like discussions between kids and their parents. It maybe. probably still could, or between parents and the kids. Yeah, exactly. Because maybe parents are watching it with their kids, and they're and they're sitting there judgmental that their kids use a Walkman and all of this stuff because that yeah. was like one of the things. And and they're thinking, you know, maybe I am kind of being a dick to my kid, and they don't think that I love them. Maybe I should try and figure out a way for them to think that I actually care about them. Yeah. I mean, still be their parent. But at the same time, show that, like, I'm a human being who has feelings for them. Yeah. So ultimately, I think it's still a good movie. and that you I need do to, too. But you need again, to re-watch I, don't think, it. I don't think I can unhinge the two. Well, if you have a, if you have a history of, of Ninja Turtle worship like Chris does, definitely re-watch the movie. And oh, if, yeah. It's going to be and good. And if, <laughs> if you're a little more removed from it like I am... Definitely rewatch it. There's there there are there's good messages in it. There's good action. Yeah. It's funny. There's a lot of good comical lines in it. Or if you're a new exposure like my three and a half year old is, uh, she definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, and she she's seen the uh, Ninja Turtles cartoon, so she enjoyed a movie that was not necessarily based on the cartoon, based on the comic book. She still enjoyed it. Yeah, and and she she hasn't watched a ton of them since last year when we first started. She's watched a few episodes here and there. Uh, for the most part, she still just watches a lot of the same stuff, like Batman and, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think that she still remembers who the Turtles are, and she's seen enough of it that it was imprinted on her, and she enjoyed the movie. Yeah. So I think kids will like it. Adults will like it still. Yeah. Um, I, think, I, I think that'll probably do it for us today. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
the rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And I think that this episode... Because it's uh, a special episode. Unlike any other. Yeah. Uh, the, the feelings and sentiments about this movie are best represented in Splinter. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, well, this is Sean. And Chris. And uh, you know what, Master Splinter, why don't you take us out this time? <laughs> we were awesome! Bodacious! Yeah. <laughs> <Bitches>. yeah. Uh... <laughs> Gnarly! Radical! Yeah! Totally uh, tubulous, uh, dude! Uh, uh, wicked! Oh, Delicious! Mega! I have always liked Kawabunga. Hmm? Huh? Kawabunga! <laughs> I made a funny! <laughs> On the half shell, they're the heroes for. In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high with muggings mysterious. All police and detectives are furious because they can't find the source of this lethally evil force. This is serious, so give me a quarter. I was a witness, get me a reporter. Call April O'Neil in on this case. Hey, you better hurry up, there's no time to waste. We need help like quick on the double. Have pity on the city, man, it's in trouble. We need heroes like the Lone Ranger. When Tonto came pronto, when there was danger, they didn't say we'd be there in half an hour, because they displayed turtle power. Turtle power.